Well, I like the story of Gideon. It's probably one of uh, my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Um, I think the story of Gideon is given more press in the book of Judges than any of the other 12 judges of Israel. And there's a reason for that, because Gideon needed some extra time to do what God wanted him to do. It's like Gideon was a reluctant leader. He was full of fear. The way that he looked at himself was in a way that was... Um, he, he, he saw himself as somebody that wasn't very important. And you kind of get that out of what Francis read today from this section of Scripture. He had a hard time experiencing the presence and the power of God in his life. And the way that he looked at the world, he saw it as he, was, he and his people were a victim. They were victims of the Midianites. And so, you know, God comes to him in this dramatic way, and he has to take some time with Gideon, and I'm so glad about that because he takes his time with you and me, doesn't he? I mean, aren't you glad that God just doesn't write you off when you put him off a little, when he tells you to do something, and you get a little bit fearful about it, you're not sure if you should, should go forward with something, or you're, you're bound by fear, or bound by just confusion, and you wait, and you say, God, show me again, can you Help me again, and then God shows you again. And finally it comes through, and you take a step of faith, and, and God is working in your life, and you see that. I think one of the things that we can learn from Gideon was that uh, God persistently called Gideon to embrace his new identity. It's very important. God consistently, he persistently and consistently said, Gideon, he starts off his first sentences, you're a mighty warrior. But Gideon, of course, doesn't believe that. He has no experience about mighty warrior. He is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. That's because it has walls on its side. And so Gideon is there doing the wine press, uh, you know, shift, uh, threshing his wheat. It, it also means experiencing deeper intimacy with the Lord. So God not only wanted him to discover his new identity, he wanted to have a relationship with Gideon that was more than just casual. He wanted him to experience his presence and his power. And he wanted to activate his spiritual faith and his spiritual leadership and his sphere of influence. So Gideon, uh, just like all of us, was under God's care and leadership and nurturing. And I think it's a beautiful picture that you see in the Old Testament of what's going on here. Which brings me to the reason for this message. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of baggage from my past that I, I'm not too happy about. Uh, it affects me in my life. It affected me when I first became a Christian and I wanted God to use me. And so what did my youth pastor say? I want you to give the message on Sunday night. I'm 18 years old. You want me to get up in front of all the adults and give a message. And I was shaking in my boots. I was like, I was the kid in first grade that cried before he went to school, didn't raise his hand when he got to school, was totally so shy. They used to call me, call me shy. You know, they used to call me, there's the shy little Warren boy. And so there's no way at 18 I'm going to give up and give a message. But God said, no, you've got to do it. 
And so, but I would battle with that, and I had so much fear about it. I didn't like speaking in public. And uh, so there was a lot of reasons for that. But I know this, that God called me, and so he pushed me to go beyond my fears. And God will always push you to go beyond your fears. It's like when you go for your first job, you know, and uh, you've got, you know, you're coming into a totally new environment. You're coming into a totally, uh, you, you don't know the people. You don't know where your place is really, but God says do it. You know, I know some of you have just gotten new jobs, and so I'm sure you've experienced some of that. Some of it has been, some of the fears were unfounded, right? Because you got there, and things really worked out for you. Uh, some of your fears were founded, you know, <laughs> but you pushed past it anyway. And so God has us in this process of where he's persistently calling us to find our identity, to really understand that he is with us. Wherever we go, whatever we're to do. And he wants us to depend upon him. You know, second, uh, for 1 Corinthians chapters 1, verses 26 and 27 says this in such a, a, a unique way. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Back in the Corinthian culture, there were the Greeks who were known for their wisdom. There were the Jews who were known for being chosen by God and having a religious or holiness about them and God's blessing on their life. And then there were the other people, the Gentiles the ones that weren't Jewish, the ones that weren't Greek, and it was most of the Corinthians were those people. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look it, your identity is not in your ethnicity. Your identity is not in your education. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, just think about it. Not many of you were wise. You weren't of royal birth. You weren't Donald Trump's son. Okay? You know, you are just common people. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And so God chooses you and he chooses me in our weaknesses, in our fears, in sometimes the way that we perceive ourselves. We try to overcome that by overachieving. Some of you have tried to overachieve all your life and you just keep on coming up short and you keep on trying to, to, to get just a little bit further ahead, but you're never, ne it's never good enough. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians, stop. And then he says this. He says, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. He's saying, you want wisdom? You don't have to be Greek to get wisdom. God can be wisdom for you. That is our righteousness. You want to be chosen by God? You want to be holy in his sight? You want to experience his presence? It's in Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to be Jewish. 
You have to come to Christ. Just as you are, and God will change you. And this is what I like about the story of Gideon. I like that God takes this guy who's totally scared and sitting in a wine press threshing wheat, scared out of his mind because his country has been terrorized for seven years. And really, they, they were terrorized. If you look at the scripture, and I'm going to go back a little bit to give you kind of the context of what's going on in Gideon's life, because what I want, what I want us to see is that the things that happened in Gideon's life have application for our lives today. So when you read the Old Testament, don't think that only the New Testament is for us. The Old Testament is for us today. You know, in fact, it says this in uh, Romans 15, 4. It says, for everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So you say, look back at the stories of those guys. Put yourself in their situation. See how God worked. And he'll do the same thing in your life. So that's why we're going back and looking at Gideon and, and looking at the context of what happened in his life. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, it says. And I want to give you the context of this. So why are the Midianites overtaking Israel? It's because in the book of Judges, the people of God have forgotten about God. They started to worship the idols of the Amorites, which was Baal and Asherah. And they started to sacrifice their crops, their plants, sometimes even their children to these foreign gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of the Midianite was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So they had to leave their homes, leave their farms, leave their, all their crops because they heard the Midianites were coming, so they went and they hid up in the hills and they hid in the caves and the clefts of the rocks. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Malachites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. And it goes on to say they killed all of their sheep. They took them as plunder. They took their crops. I mean, can you imagine, some, anybody been growing any tomatoes this year? All of a sudden, you know, you're watching your tomatoes. They're turning nice and red. You go out the next morning, they're all gone. Who took them, right? That'd be a bummer, right? But, but this is even worse. They are killing and pillaging the entire country of Israel. And that is why we find that uh, is, Israel is... Such, they, there is such terror, and we thought terrorism started uh, back in the Middle East. Well, it did, but it, it, thousands of years ago, people were terrorizing people, right? So when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, what did they do? So the people start to cry out. They say, okay, God, help us, help us, help us. So he sends them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. So he's telling them their history. He's telling them, this is what I did for you. And I said to you, I am the Lord, look at verse 10, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. 
but you have not listened to me. And this is a real key here. The reason, because of the oppression that they are facing, is because they have not listened to the Lord. The reason that they're facing, they're feeling so much fear in their life is because they have not listened to the Lord. The reason so much disaster is happening to them at that time is because they haven't listened to the Lord. God sent them a prophet, and then they didn't listen. So then we go to verse 11, and this is what we read. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah, where I belonged to Joash the Aborazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So he sends a prophet. They don't listen. Everything's happening. And then God still shows up. Does the same thing in our life, doesn't he? Even when we're not listening to the Lord, he'll still come to us and give us another chance. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. And so you see this, they call it, theologians call it a theophany, theophany, which is meaning the presence of God shows up in the Old Testament, as, and it's referred to as the angel of the Lord, or the Lord. And you'll see in this dialogue that Gideon keeps on switching back, and the narrative keeps on switching back to, it's the angel of the Lord. Then it's the Lord. It's because it's the Lord, Jesus Christ, showing up in the Old Testament. And you'll see that throughout the Old Testament. That's why if you, if you don't read the Old Testament, you don't get to see these good things. You know, these are really good lessons here for us. And he says, so the angel of the Lord comes, and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So what does Gideon do? God is calling Gideon right then into what he's going to make him. Before he does anything, God gives him an identity. He says, you are a mighty warrior. It's the same thing, you and, what happens to you and I. When we come to Jesus Christ, he says, you are my beloved child. I am your father. I will work in you. Follow me. As soon as somebody calls on the Lord, as soon as we come to the Lord and we receive him into our life, then we become his children. I don't know if you saw the movie, The Case for Christ. We showed it here on Friday night. But it's a fascinating story about the true story of Lee Strobel and his wife. His wife comes to faith in Christ, and then she keeps on trying to tell him, Lee, all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, receive him into your life, and then you will become his child. And that's the power of the gospel. But a lot of times we don't receive that into our lives. We don't believe that it is that simple. And it is. But then again, it is not. Because we look at what happens to Gideon after this. Okay? So God speaks over him, mighty warrior. First of all, Gideon, he doesn't believe he's a mighty warrior. Even though God said it, even though the angel of the Lord says it, he just doesn't believe it because what is he leaning back on? He's looking back on his past. He's looking back at his family. He's looking back at the history. He's looking at everything that's going on around him, and it's not making sense. I am not a mighty warrior. I am in the wine press. I am trying to get a little bit of grain to make 
make a little loaf of bread for my family, and you're calling me a mighty warrior? I'm scared. He's full of fear. And then he says this. He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders and our ancestors told us about what, when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, and now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the Midianites? He starts complaining to God. First of all, he's blaming God for the situation that he's in. And that's one thing that God doesn't allow us to do because we have to own our own sin in this. We have to own our own problems. And so God lets him rant, okay? But Gideon's going to have to come to this place where he understands that some of the things that he's done and some of the things that his family has done have brought a lot of the things that are happening in his life right now. It's the same thing that happens to you and I. You see, it's easy to believe, but then we also have to do our own homework and see in our families, in our past, we're, we have not surrendered our life to the Lord. What are those areas? And for Gideon and his family, they had a lot. So God still tells him. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? And he says, oh, excuse me, Lord, he replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And so there was another family lie that Gideon believed. We're not good enough. My family is the least. I'm not gifted enough to do what you're calling me to do, Lord. And you know, a lot of us speak that stuff into our own lives all the time when we're doing a little bit of self-talk. Especially when it comes to following the Lord and really being sold out for Him and taking Jesus wherever we go. Well, I don't really think I can do that. See, God, you don't understand. I don't have a lot of faith. I don't. And we make excuses for ourselves. And for Gideon, it's, it's excuses, but it's also he's believing the lie that he has been told all his life. Maybe from his brothers and sisters. You're, <laughs> Gideon, you're about as good as nothing. Go out to the wine press and make some, thresh some wheat because... You're a nobody. But then God meets him in his weakness and begins to speak truth into his life. It's the same thing that God does to you and I. God is able then to speak truth into our life. And he, he continues to say this. And he continues to tell Gideon, I'm going to be with you. The Lord answered him, I'll be with you and I'll strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And if you read further in the text, Gideon, after he says this, God says this to him three times, then he begins to say, okay, if you really are the Lord and you've really come to me, let me make a sacrifice to you. And so he goes back into his house and he gets a goat and he boils the goat and he takes the goat and he puts it on a rock and he pours the broth from the goat onto the rock and then the angel of the Lord takes his staff and he touches the rock, and fire comes out, and it just burns up the whole sacrifice. And Gideon goes, oh, you really are. You really are the Lord. 
I'm going to die. I'm a sinful person. And, you know, Gideon starts to get all fearful again. And then the Lord says, stop, Gideon. <laughs> I am Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abarizites. So what happened is Gideon finally got a revelation. God is not out to get me, to condemn me, to make my life frustrating, but he's actually for me and he wants to use me as his instrument. And so Gideon, he had a change in his mind and see, and I have to have this change of thinking, but it's not only has to be thinking, it has to be go deep into our heart as well. That God has not forsaken us. That we can't just stack up our past experiences and label them as God abandoning us. No, he wants to bring something new into our lives. And he wants to bring his presence into our life in a more powerful way than we've ever experienced it before. But you know, what happens when Gideon realized it's the angel of the Lord, um, he, he recognizes that God has been with him. And then, so Gideon builds an altar there. And then the, sa the same night, as Gideon builds this altar, and he experiences this, the same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, that's probably the prize bull of the farm, right? Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole besides it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of, its, of this height. Use the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down after the second bull as a burnt offering. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Whoa. Now... It gets a little bit <laughs> into family business. God tells him to go and take his father's prize bull and sacrifice it. Destroy the altar that's in their backyard, the altar to Baal and Asherah, the one that they've been worshiping at, sacrificing, trying to you know, gain the God of the Amorites' favor, and he's saying, I want you to confront what your family has been believing in, and I want you to offer, and I want you to destroy the altar and, and build a proper altar there. Now this is, <laughs> I don't know, you know, for me, probably the hardest people to speak to about my faith in Christ are my family, Right? It can be the most difficult thing to do. And for Gideon, God pushed him out of his comfort zone to actually take the altar and the idols and destroy them. The false altars and the idols and destroy them. This was something that Gideon just did not have the strength in himself. So what does he do? It says, so Gideon took ten of his servants... And did as the Lord told him. He didn't want to do it by himself. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. But at least he did it. Okay? At least he did it. Okay? He said, I'm going to do this at night. 
And then when everybody wakes up, I'm not going to be standing there. So he does it. He burns everything. And then the townspeople come out. They probably come out to offer up some prayers to the idol Baal and Asherah and give some sacrifices. And somebody has destroyed the entire altar and then um, built a new altar there. And they recognize that this altar that was built is probably built to Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews. And so they say, what, what happened here? And I bet one of the servants that he took probably said, it wasn't me, it was Gideon. He told me to do it. And so they find out that Gideon did it. They said, bring him out here, we're going to kill him. He's destroyed. He has come against everything that we believe in. If he destroyed this altar of Baal, Baal is going to come after us and kill us all. And then Gideon's father stands up and he says, no. Let Baal contend with himself, with, with Gideon and his reputation. If Baal is God, he can defend himself. And so Gideon gets off without, he walks through the crowd and nobody touches him. And it is an amazing way that God has protected Gideon, but he had to move past his fears and the, th and the practices of his family that were not of God. And I want to say something here. There's times in our families, there's family practices that are not of God. And everybody knows them. Like for me, uh, for me, some of, my, some of the things that I went through is my father, and I told you this before, my father would always call me names. And I said some of them, Meathead, I still remember, Meathead, Nudnik, Stupid and numbskull. <laughs> I can still remember those names that my father would speak to me, sometimes in sarcasm and stuff like that. But you know what? When I raised my kids, did I go around calling them stupid, numbskull, meathead? No. I couldn't do that because I would be repeating the sin that my father had upon me and repeat it again. But I'll tell you what, I was tempted. I was tempted because the way that we are raised, oftentimes we raise our children. Unless we bring it into God's authority and wisdom and learn from him, how am I supposed to parent my child? Now that I belong to Jesus Christ, God is my father, how am I supposed to discipline in a correct way? And there does need to be discipline. But how am I supposed to do it in a correct way? How am I supposed to correct or rebuke my child, in a correct way, without being full of anger and frustration and calling them names and calling them stupid or trying to manipulate them. How am I supposed to do it God's way? And I had to learn that. I had to break the pattern from the past and create something new that was built on a solid foundation on the altar of the Lord. You have to build new altars in your family. And you have to do it in a way that is biblical and right. And you can break some of the cycles of sin that have been passed on generation to generation to generation. I know in Chinese culture, number one thing, one of the one things is money. It's all about the money. It's about making money 
and making yourself secure through money. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but what I'm saying, it will not bear the weight of your soul. And it will not bear the weight of your children's soul and what they need in their lives. It's not just about money. It's not just about education. It's not just about getting the best career so you have security. It's about Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you're building a foundation of faith. It's about Jesus. So let me go back to my, um, my own dealings with fear. So here I am. God tells me, plant a church in Newark, New Jersey. I mean, I'm a white guy. The whole community is black, African-American. And I have some fears about that. I'm not letting anybody know, but I've been, I've been living there, but I just feel like, God, can't you use somebody else like that's African-American? Because it, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't that be the right way to do it? And God says, no, I've chosen you. So I go ahead and I take a step of faith, and we, so we start services and everything like that, and every time I have to get up and preach, and guess what happens? I get totally full of fear. I'm praying about it. I said, God, I, I am so full of fear when I speak that it takes all the energy out of me and I'm wiped out by the end of the day and, I, and then I don't even know if I've done well enough because I'm only thinking about myself. What is going on? Please help me. And so it was like about 1987 this was. The Lord, I have this dream. And I don't have very many dreams, but I've had like three or four just dreams I'll never forget that come from God. And this was one of them. And so what happens is I'm in the auditorium where we're church, doing the church plant. This time it's full of people, and I'm starting my message and I'm feeling this anxiety and fear again. Uh, I'm losing them again. Sometimes I get that with you guys. I'm losing them again. <laughs> it's, hard to get up, it's hard to get up here and speak, you know, for 20, 30 minutes. But, but when, you're, when you're doing it for the Lord, it's not hard. But, but for me, I was, I, was, I was battling my fears and anxieties. And so I'm up, and I'm speaking, and I'm saying, I'm losing them. And then all of a sudden, this screen comes down on the back wall, kind of like our automatic screen in our fellowship hall, comes down, and on projected on it is a little blonde-haired boy. A little blonde-haired boy, but he has two big men, and they were African-American. They were strong. They were like football players, and they were up there. And they tied ropes around him, and they were pulling on his neck. One was pulling this way. The other one was pulling this way. And I'm looking up there. I'm saying, somebody's got to help that kid. And the Holy Spirit says, you help him. Well, how am I going to? God, I'm preaching here. How am I going to help? You know, like, what am I going to do? Stop my message and call out to that, whatever that is up there? Yes. Do it. 
So I close my eyes and I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, that child belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been bought with the blood. Let him go! And then, I'm there and I'm going, oh boy, you really blew it. Nothing's going to happen. And then I look up and the little boy is like totally free. And he's lifting his hands and he's praising Jesus. And then this song comes. And everybody, everybody in the auditorium stands up and starts singing it. Jesus, he meets you where you are. Oh, Jesus, he heals your secret scars. All the love you're longing for is in Jesus, a friend of a wounded heart. And I woke up from my dream, and I said, Lord, who is that boy? And I remember to this day, the Lord said, that's you. That's you. You've been so bound up with fear, Al, and I've set you free. You don't have to be so fearful every time you get up and speak because it's not about you. It's about me and what I've done for you. And I, the reason I bring up that story is because, see, God wants to work in our lives in a deeper way. He wants us to find our identity in Him and then deepen our intimacy with Him so that we can then have spiritual authority and be able to fight for other people. And not only for ourselves, but for other people too. And I'll tell you, from that time on, 1987, I never battled with that tremendous fear again. I mean, I still get a little fearful when I, when I get up and I have to speak, but not to that extent where I'm agonizing in my life. And there's things in our life from our past that Satan uses to keep us from moving forward in our future. And that's what I'm talking about here. For Gideon, it was the lie you're the least in your family. There's nothing you can do. You're on the bottom rung. And your family isn't very important either. And maybe you don't have enough education or you don't... There, so many things. So many lies the enemy speaks to us. And God comes to us and he says, No, you're a mighty warrior. I'm going to make you into a mighty warrior. I'm going to make you into the person and the instrument that I want you to be so that you can have an influence in my kingdom. It's not about you, but it's about me working in you. So I get emotional about that because it's one of those things that, man, it changed my life. What's the next steps for you? Listen to what God says about you. You know, 
We need to listen. The whole reason Gideon and the Israelites were in the problem they were in, they weren't listening. God sent them a prophet, then God spoke to them, and they still just could not believe. They couldn't get what God said from the ear into their heart, and they didn't hold on to it. And so the first thing is listen to what God says about you. What is God saying about you? Embrace your identity in Christ. So what, what does God say about me in his word? That's a good place to start. What does God say about, about me? You're completely forgiven. You're totally accepted. The past is gone. Your sins are forgiven. And, and if there's still that sense of shame or, or, or battle or fear, then talk to somebody about it. You know, that's what the body of Christ is for, so we can pray for one another and help each other through these difficult times. Deepen your intimacy with Christ. That's something that we all have to do. How do we deepen? What really helps you to understand and connect with God? Deepen the intimacy with Christ. And what I'm saying here is this. It's not about how much Bible you read or how long you can pray. It's about how your soul is connecting to God and his truth, okay? It's about having this relationship that there's a connection here and God is speaking to you in your life about the things that keep on tripping you up. If it's fear, you need to say, God, what is this? What is going on? Why am I so afraid? Or if it's anger, why am I so angry? Can you teach me, Lord? Show me what it is. Deepen your intimacy with Christ and listen to what he's saying. And then activate your spiritual authority and faith in situations you're facing that rob you of his joy and peace in your life. So it's very, very, very important, but very, very simple, I think. Very simple. We have to connect with God in our lives. For me... He does it through dreams. He does it through me being quiet before him, listening to him. I, I, I begin to recognize when he's speaking to me. And these days I'm doing a lot less speaking and a lot more listening. It's very important for me to hear from God. And I know that's important for you guys too. So this is what Paul says in Ephesians to the Ephesian church, I'm going to close with this. And he's telling this, he's praying this for them because he wants them to find the same thing. The people in Corinth, the people in Ephesus, they were people that were, they were nobodies. The church was built, the early church was built from people that were nobodies. I'm telling you, they, most of them were no. They were fishermen. They were people without you know, tremendous education. But they were surrendered to God. So if, if you still feel like you're on the lower rung, and, and a lot of times we feel that way, uh, either because of our past, because of, you know, ingrained racism in this country, or any number of reasons of messages that we've gotten from the world that keep on coming at us. You can't be anything because this because of you, because of 
your ethnicity or because of your past or because of what you did in the past. All these messages come to us or what somebody did to you or what happened to you. Your life is forever not going to matter to anything. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And God says, and, and this is what Paul's praying. I, he said, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. There is something about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. You'll have this relationship with Christ where he shows up and he speaks things to you. Okay? Maybe he's not going to show up like he did to Gideon, but you're going to sense his presence and his power in your life, and he's going to tell you what to do, or he's going to tell you who you are, and take those words seriously. Put them in your heart. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Father, for this, your word to us today. We thank you for Gideon's life. And Lord, how you used him in the future to deliver an entire nation from, from enemies that were hundreds of thousands and you whittled down his army to 300 and you defeated the enemy. Lord, you're always pushing us to trust you. You're always calling us to come into your presence and you're giving us opportunities to serve you beyond our comfort zones. So Lord, we pray that you would do that in our lives, Lord. I pray for every person here, Lord, the situations that they're in. Lord, there may be difficulties that they're facing in their life right now, but Lord, I pray most of all that their roots would go down deep in your love and you would make them strong and that you would speak. We pray this in Jesus' name.